Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks, and today we unpack a ShopRite Spa Pick and Pay in Woolworths uh, with Kuwa Support from Southern Cross Capital. In the education segment, he'll be shedding lights on the seasonality of earnings. Uh, Kuwa, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Good afternoon, Alatendi. Thank you for having me. Okay, so, I mean, I'll be upfront. We chose this theme today. Um, that's on the back of uh, some developments in this sector. But I'm keen just to get your thoughts here, you know, on the overall sector before uh, we go into individual stocks. How have our grocery retailers fared uh, over maybe the last uh, three quarters and even uh, the last uh, set of earnings that we saw from them? Okay, so mixed bag. Um, you know, if you if you had asked me for a sector view, I would say I'm fairly neutral on the sector, mm -hmm. and it balances out when we when we look at the uh, look at the individual names as well. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, I suppose the pick and pay situation is, is is sort of indicative of 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 the ides, you know, the uh, uh, the risks um, in the sector if a business isn't properly run. Um, however, uh, some of its peers have um, managed to do, to do remarkably well, but some of them potentially because of the underperformance of pick and pay, mm. who have been stealing significant, taking significant portions of their market share in the process. So overall, uh, overall neutral the sector, but a couple of names I love and a couple of names I do not love. Let's get right into it. I'll start with Spa, and the reason I want to start with Spa is because it's a bit of an outlier, isn't it? It's because I'm more of a wholesale a business, uh, not a traditional retailer and how the rest of uh, the, the retailers perform, Quibus. Uh, but let's speak about this counter and what stands out for you. So, um, off the bat, you're absolutely correct. And, I mean, more specifically, the other retailers were more on the sort of hybrid model before, where they had franchisees who in the store front ends, and they were just managing distribution and marketing on behalf of those franchisees. So, you know, any like any franchise business. In Spa, they haven't moved towards those so-called equity-held stores, where they own their own stores and buy out the underlying franchisees, the likes of what Pick and Pay and Woolies have, have gone through in previous decades. This is core to their business. It is a distribution business, and uh, um, it is, a, you know, ultimately it, 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 the franchise model is, is, is part and parcel part of that, which I kind of like, um, uh, and it's quite unique, unlike the others uh, previously, at least, uh, spas get to operate with a high degree of autonomy, and that means you, as the distributor, need to be quite uh, um, quite competitive in terms of pricing, in terms of service. And you'll find that only around 90, 80 to ninety percent of the goods sold in any given spa is that provided by this the listed spa group as we know it. Mm -hmm. It is a nice business, uh, attractive business model, and it went through quite a few governance uh, crises over the last 24 months or so, which was actually very well covered by a couple of your journalists. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, frankly, I think that sort of media attention is part of the reason we saw these very positive changes. Mm -hmm. It was perhaps highly inappropriate that the chairman was also one of the largest franchisees in the business. So it was quite easy for us for a, 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 you know, a, a problem to arise where, uh, the board is not as incentivized to look after the franchisees, which are not board members kind of thing, you know, and maybe benefit some franchisees over others because they're you know, sitting with me in the boardroom. So um, uh, we saw some of those reductions and significant management changes, and that was all quite positively received. And more specifically, in the last two weeks, we received the so-called 47-week trading update, which indicated two major developments. A, uh, sales accelerated um, since 
um, first, first, um, the first six months reporting period, we've had expansive, expansive sales, and that seems to be in all of the, their jurisdictions: South Africa, Switzerland, Ireland, and Poland. And I suppose more significantly, they've indicated that they've decided to sell the Polish operation, which has been a laggard, particularly from an earnings contribution level. Um, and it's been a tough, a tough environment for them to operate in. So the market received both of those things quite positively. And we've seen the share re-rate quite a bit. And it was incredibly cheap, I must say. It was one of my favorites before. It's still quite cheap. I still like it. And I think given, um, you know, the movements, uh, the, the management changes, all of this, and they have been net beneficiaries of the pick and pay situation, mm. I like the name still. Let's actually move on and speak about pick and pay because uh, that's been the news of the week. And of course, uh, we know we'll take a look at uh, Checkers and Woods towards the end because I think uh, they're faring a little bit better. Pick and pay uh, is going through it. I I don't think that in my time of uh, reporting and looking at financials have I seen pick and pay report a loss. So I'm keen to get your thoughts on the issue of a loss, uh, you know, in the billions that we're seeing now, uh, but also uh, leadership changes and if that's really what needs to happen at pick and pay to turn the ship around absolutely um so uh, you're right it hasn't happened during your uh, um uh, <laughs> career yeah. because it's never happened before sure this is unprecedented okay. and it's a very simple business it's a cash retailer it should not be making a loss okay. something is going incredibly wrong um uh, i had the pleasure of uh watching uh Shoal Chos at Batelier analyzed ShopRite versus Pick and Pay a couple of weeks ago. And he sort of, you know, articulated very well the difference between the two businesses. And part of the problem historically has been the control of the Ackerman family and underinvestment in underlying distribution capabilities and infrastructure, underinvestment in price. And essentially, uh, the stock has historically been a massive yielder. The dividend yield has been remarkably high. And there are, call it, uh, um, uh, the narrative in the market is essentially that the family are bleeding the business for cash. Um, and um, on that basis, not allowing management to invest. So the problem with bringing in um, this particular ex-CEO, who actually oversaw a period of severe underinvestment. At the time, he was a pick and pay, uh, pick and pay career uh, career employee. Mm-hmm. He'd spent his entire career working his way up. So he had a very good relationship with the founders. He had, um, uh, and he was sort of part of that stable historically. And I'm not saying he was a bad CEO from a management operational perspective. But during that era, we saw underinvestment, whereas the peers were investing heavily into centralized distribution. So exactly the same problem that we saw before, where this business, you know, that investment had never been made. And now Boone came in and essentially promised to make those investments to sort out their positioning in the market, uh, so-called Project Reg, where they're trying to get rid of this bipolar bipolar identity crisis. You know, are we lower LSM or are we competing with checkers? Nobody knows. We've got to rebrand and, and refocus. Um, that project hasn't really taken. So um, it looks like they were doing the right things, and then suddenly the relationship break down, broke down, and there he goes, again, after a remarkably short period, without seeing through these projected changes. 
Um, and they bring in one of the old stalwarts who clearly was there when nothing was being done to develop this business appropriately. So uh, from that perspective, I think it's not a great outcome. And I remain very bearish the stock. And, uh, um, you know, we're just seeing, we're just seeing this play out. And that's perhaps part of the reason why, even if you're not that positive on the entire sector, there's almost secular growth available to the other players by capturing the market share mm. of pick and pay, which continues to lose market share rapidly to Spa, Woolies and ShopRite. So actually, uh, I want to move to shop right now because I think you highlighted the issue that pick and pay so well because uh, I recently spoke to Peter Engelbrecht, uh, you know, on the back of the, those financials. And he spoke about, uh, you know, the fruits of a seven-year strategy in running. And, you know, you have to be CEO for seven years to see a seven-year strategy through. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, what that might also mean for pick and pay, but also looking at what I might even call the genius of this uh, pick and, uh, this checkers, um, um, shop right rather, strategy because it's been really, really strong. Uh, if you think of a checker 60, for instance, uh, they're gone. I don't think anybody can uh, possibly uh, even duplicate what they've created there. And it is because of, I think, leadership and even a data-driven, uh, you know, running of the, 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 the company. Mm. And a willingness to invest. Mm -hmm. And that project started off as a small pilot and they threw money at it and mm -hmm. developed it and they developed it in-house. You know, not an external externalized offering, the likes of which we saw with Pick and Pay and a couple mm -hmm. of the others having to partner with the outside party, not having to, not being able to control the process and the quality of the of, of the service. They developed it all in house because initially piloting it with external partners didn't work out as nicely, mm -hmm. and that's just part of the reason they are market leaders. And we are going through another cycle of heavy investment within that business, um, and for that reason their peers should be very, very afraid. Mm -hmm. And I must add, part of the reason why Boone struggled to turn around pick and pay is he started so far behind and this, mm -hmm. this, builder, this business had been bled for cash that they had to use debt to invest into centralized distribution now. Uh, the balance sheet simply was as, wasn't as robust. ShopRite has been so aggressive in investing over time that uh, uh, their balance sheet is simply healthier. And they, in, despite that, they're essentially using cash reserves to make these investments. They are not heavily geared, even though, you know, everybody talks about the investment cycle and, and how they continue to invest into um, into additional markets, into additional stores, into in, in further improvements in, uh, in distribution. And on that basis, they are just so well positioned. And we've seen quite significant additional market share um, market share gains in the last period. They lost uh, the reporting period was actually bang in line um, with uh, with expectations. It did sell off because it was priced for absolute perfection. But I think uh, all the more now that makes it quite an attractive business to own. And this is actually my other pick um, amongst the four stock that I would have in my portfolio at the moment. And another one of those quality counters where it's almost uh, it's almost worth something at any given price. To be honest, it's just such a well-run business, and you're absolutely right. The long run, the, you know, the the long narrative, the long strategy, leadership being able being able to see out those strategies, and uh, um, and ultimately back the process. Plus, uh, you know, call it the optionality from a reasonably successful African sub-Saharan African footprint. Um, it's just a very very nicely positioned business that keeps investing into what it does well.
I want to move away from these two a bit, but I think uh, they're very similar in how they've both tried to segment. Uh, you know, I'm very keen to find out from you, Kwebus, how, uh, you know, uh, class issues in South Africa actually drive our retailers and how that's uh, been a backbone for strategy, uh, really, taking a snapshot and or taking a look back at what's happening in the country and then being able to put together a strategy that responds to that. Yes. Uh, look, I don't know. Uh, what do you do? You know, do yeah. you... Do you segment and try to sort of have a premium offering and a value offering? And mm-hmm. ultimately, it all comes down to marketing and, and perception. And, and and it's tricky to execute. I've always, uh, I've always sort of, I'm, I'm happy I'm not in that space. It is a very, very difficult one. And I've observed, you know, uh, we've had some pilot projects, ShopRite in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've put up a couple of, couple of incredibly fancy checkers. I mean, mm-hmm. these things are... Uh, you know, you've got a 187 different cheeses you can choose from, and and then then. But despite that, they put the money counter at the back. Mm. So at month end, uh, you know the vagrants are buying their lot- lottery tickets there. Mm. Um, you know, so, so you you wouldn't ever see that at a woolly. So to some extent, you've got to like appreciate that they continue to accommodate all walks of life. But at the same time, if you don't figure out that, I you know that sort of what are we targeting here? Um, I don't know. It's 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 a hard one to say. But I mean, I'm not a political, not a political commentator, nor <laughs> nor a sociologist. So yeah. so please don't make me uh, <laughs> comment on the representativeness of these offerings. Got you. Let's talk about Woolworths though, because that's high end, that's niche, and you know, even uh, with all the investment that the other brands have made into that high end market, it's very hard to compete with the Willie's perception, the Willie's promise. What they haven't done well, and I'm glad we touched on, uh, you know, Checker 60 and uh, even a Pick and Pay, trying to plug and play into uh you know other apps uh, to have the same offering is Woolworths offering i'm keen to get your thoughts on that and if that has at all given them a competitive edge uh you know or if actually the Woolworths shopper likes to go into the store and and look and pick and that's fine <laughs> no because the whole premise of buying from woolies is the quality control the qc is so good you know anywhere else i walk in and the steak is 99 rand a kilogram, right? And I choose the size I like. Woolies will go and flip that around and say, all of these steaks are precisely 249.99 because they are precisely the same size and precisely the same quality. And if you can commoditize things like that, fresh goods like that, mm. uh, it suits it's, it suits uh, um, online shopping incredibly well. And you know, I, I believe that is where 6060 has made some inroads purely for convenience sake. Mm-hmm. They are investing into that. And I think the market is very positive on the new management team uh, with the exit of Ian Moore and uh, the adventure in Australia, which frankly has been a disaster. Um, but uh, they're going, again, going back to their roots, executing reasonably well. Part of the reason it sold off recently, I suppose, is um, uh, they exited David Jones and the exit multiple was quite disappointing and the market was hoping for uh, um, 
a special divvy, which uh, the management team indicated that, A, you know, we're not making as much as we thought we would, and B, we're going to invest into the business, which in the short term is definitely a negative, but in the long run, as we've seen with ShopRite, that's positive. Woolies does yield well um, already. Um, so, uh, so from that perspective, sort of doubling down on what they're trying to do and uh, improving the business and in investing further into that food business, it has matured quite a bit, but it seems uh, they think some some portions of the offering have uh, have been left behind. I'm sure online being one of one of those one of those components that have lagged, and they are trying to develop it further and improve the offering further. They've they said it's been neglected because of the because of this uh, sidewoods venture into, to frankly, sunset businesses in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, Country Road locally is actually doing quite a bit better. So interesting enough, in the last update, they indicated that um, when they have poor sales in Country Road Australia, they could just ship that stock across <laughs> to sell it over here. So uh, um, I think it's a bit expensive. Mm -hmm. It's one of the four that I, you know, I wouldn't have, I, I don't like as much at the current level, but uh, ultimately, I think the new management are, are taking the business in the right direction. Let's rank them, Corbus, uh, a one to four. I know ShopRite being uh, a number one. So let's go with a two, three, and four. In what order would you buy these stocks? ShopRite, mm -hmm. Spa, Woolies. None, I would never buy a pick and pay. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy. It's why we have here. And then, of course, in our educational segment, uh, seasonality of earnings. Let's speak about this and why you've decided to go with uh, this one very quickly. We don't have much time left. Okay, so uh, just quite topical. And seasonality of earnings is very common. We see it in the logistics businesses that are driven by, you know, when is the harvest taken and, uh, you know, uh, when are the ports available? Um, and we see it in retailers as well. And uh, pick and pay has historically had a... Uh, um, severe seasonality very interesting for a retailer whereas all of the other three competitors were at like a 48 52 percent split on a headlines earnings basis they can pay around 28 percent in h1 and 72 percent in h2 sure. and whereas normally we just normalize for seasonality you know almost like stats is say doing a seasonality adjustment to mm -hmm. employment figures um with them. When you run such a tight operating margin, and they ran the poorest operating margin in the sector, a net operating, uh, operating margin of around 1.2%, which is less than half of what their competitors are achieving, um, and you have a downturn, you get a record loss off. Mm. And this is H1, which we've had the trading update for. But it does demonstrate that uh, um, even something as benign as seasonality, mm. if you're running tightly at tight margins, that operating operational gearing, which is normally a positive thing when things are going well. You know, if you are the marginal producer, the low, the low margin producer, you see the most upside, you see the most value when there's an upswing in the market. But conversely, when there's a downswing in the market and you're running these tight margins and there's severe seasonality in your numbers, it can severely impact the outcome um, of, uh, of your performance. And that's uh, uh, that's something I thought was worth discussing because it's something we sort of strip out. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to look at the full year. I've got, I've got to compare a half year to a half year. Mm -hmm. But there are situations where it can be um, have interesting knock-on effects. And and I think it is worth pointing out, despite this terrible print, mm -hmm. I don't believe anybody expects pick and pay to have negative earnings for the full year. This mm -hmm. is a, in all likelihood a half year um, phenomenon.
got you. That's, thank you for that perspective. I think it's a very important one, specifically when speaking about Pick and Pay Corpus. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, always a keen to learn from you. That was a Corpus Porchita from a Southern Cross a Capital. Mm -hmm.